Valor family. You know, I love this. I've been here for six months, and as the weeks have gone by, the months have gone by, that we call it the meet and greet time, it gets longer and longer and longer. And then I come up here, and, I, and people are standing up. Right when I first came, it was like 30 seconds, and I got up here, and everybody's already sitting down, like, waiting. So this is good. We're making baby steps. We're making progress. We are the church. We don't just come and watch church. We are the church. And part of being the church, part of being defined by the reality of who Jesus is, is that all that we do, all that we are, centers on and is focused on Jesus Christ. And one of the things that Jesus said about himself is that my followers, Jesus said, will, they will hear my voice. They will recognize my voice. They will be tuned to my voice. And so one of the things as the senior pastor that I don't want to have happen is for people to get tuned to my voice, Drew's voice, more than the voice of Jesus. And so part of quieting my voice and elevating the voice of Jesus is preaching with a community of preachers and pastors. And we have a team of phenomenally gifted pastors here on staff. And this summer I had every single one of the pastors preach. And we're going to continue to do that. I don't want to be the only voice from the pulpit. And tonight's one of those moments where we can recognize and celebrate another voice so that you would hear not just Mike Morgan's voice, but ultimately you would hear the voice of Jesus through this young man. So Mike Morgan, one of the newest members on staff, Senior Director of Caring Ministry. We were here last week, and if you were here, we introduced him. You remember that moment for those who were here? But some of you might not know who Mike is, and he's new on staff and excited to have you deliver God's Word to us today. So I'm going to be sitting under your teaching. I'm going to be taking notes. And as I've heard about where you're headed, as I'm allowing you to conclude this sermon series that we're in, because we've been talking about the kingdom of God, I'm excited for this moment. We had uh, the president of Fuller Seminary this morning, Dr. Mark Laberton, if you want to go online and listen to that, uh, that, that'll be wonderful. And here we are in this moment, wrapping up this series. So you mind if I pray for you? And with you, you pray for me so much. I thought I'd return the favor. God, thank you so much for this moment. I thank you that you have called Mike to follow you. And I pray that now as he is obedient to, to seeking your voice and your direction, your leading Jesus, that, that his preparation and his prayerful study, that him laying down his motives for your guidance, that it would so clearly be shared with all of us, God, what you would have for us. And we recognize there's so many people in this place, so many different stories, so many different needs. And God, I thank you that I can't, we can't, Mike can't, none of us can meet those needs quite like you can. So I pray that your, the power of your word and your Holy Spirit will meet us exactly where we are. God, we thank you for this time. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Hey, let's thank Mike for preaching. So Pastor Drew and Dr. Mark Laberton, no pressure, right? No small shoes. Here we go. Well, it is a privilege, and I don't say that lightly, to be speaking with you this evening, and I just want to get into it. Is that okay? We're going to jump right in. So uh, if you do have your Bibles, I encourage you to open them up to the Gospel of John. We're going to be looking at John, the very last chapter, chapter 21, the very last verse, verse 25. If you don't have your Bible, uh, there's pew Bibles in front of you or underneath your seats, and we'll be sharing the NIV on the, on the screen. So, you there? 
here we go. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. This is the word of the Lord. Yeah, I've never heard a sermon preached on this passage either, so um, it'll be interesting. Uh, But if you stick with me, I promise there'll be a point. So John is bringing up this issue of space, right? Of room, of storage, and whether it's your iPhone or your apartment or your social life, space always seems to be an issue. Am I right? So I'm wanting a new iPhone. Okay, I'm going to admit it. I want a new iPhone. I have the iPhone 4S, and it doesn't have enough space. And so I'm trying to decide. I've already decided on the smaller one, so you don't have to help me there, okay? Uh, the, the huge one looks like you're talking like this. And if you have one, that's great. Anyway, um, I'm looking f- between storage space. And so there's the 16 gig, there's the 64 gig, and there's 128 gig, 128 gigabytes. So it's like 16 uh, too few and is 128 excessive? Like, which one do I choose? I mean, I want, I'm, I, I want to store my stuff. Like, I'm running out of space. Like, where am I supposed to store all my amazing photos, right? Or all my awesome videos of my dog <laughs> wearing sunglasses or maybe a scarf or trying to get past my neighbor's cat. Have you guys seen those videos of dogs trying to get past cats? They're hilarious. You need to check it out. Anyway, so what should I do? That's my dilemma, and that seems to be John's dilemma as well. John is saying, Jesus did so much stuff. Like, what do I include? What do I not write in? I mean, like pictures or text messages or emails or, in our case, dog videos. When space is an issue, you only choose what's most important. So John writing on a scroll with limited space, intentionally selects the stories that he chooses. But what for? Why? Why these stories? To convince his readers, to convince you and I that Jesus' ministry was legit. When Jesus came, he said, repent, for the kingdom of God is now. So John aims to choose stories that will convince us of this truth. Over the past five weeks, you've learned from Pastor Drew. We've been studying this idea of the kingdom of God. In the first week, Pastor Drew described it, um, saying the kingdom of God is like Yosemite. It's not really Yosemite. Uh, But it's like if you were to go to Yosemite and you're trying to describe it to a friend, all you can do is give your friend those kinds of phrases. It's kind of like this. It's kind of like that. But if you don't want a secondhand account, you need to go to Yosemite for yourself. So Drew invited us, right, to go through the door. That's why we have a door here. To If you want to enter into the kingdom, you just simply have to step through the door through faith in Jesus Christ, and you're in, right? But it doesn't make sense to stand in the doorway of the kingdom, okay? So like, oh, this is a great room. Huh, fantastic. I wonder what it's like around the corner. No, we have to go explore, 
right? So we're exploring the kingdom. There's so much more for God that God wants us to see and do and experience in this kingdom. It's amazing. And, and Drew explained that it's like a treasure in a field. Remember that story? You stumble upon it, and you're like, oh, wow, that's amazing. And sell everything you have, you buy the field, you get the treasure, right? But we also learn that it's like a pearl, a pearl that a merchant is seeking out, and when he finds it, he sells everything that he has just to buy that pearl. And the beautiful thing about that story is that that pearl is you and I. Isn't that amazing that, that God, through his son Jesus Christ, would sell everything that he has just to buy you and I? And that God is doing something in the world today. God's kingdom is now, and if you believe that, then yes, you want to invest in it. You've heard this before through our time, right? Our talents and our treasure. It just happens to all three BTs. I don't know how that happened, but it's amazing. But yes, because you believe, you're not investing in a church. You're not investing in a pastor. You're investing in what God is doing in this world today, in the here and now. And so I've been charged by Pastor Drew to describe the kingdom of God one more time. And whatever, when I wrote that, I thought everyone would be like, one more time. (laughs) Didn't happen, that's okay, you guys will catch on, here we go. So, one more time, we're gonna look at a story that John wrote, so open up your personal pocket computers or your Bibles, and we're gonna look at John again, chapter eight, Verses 2 through 11. Now, as you turn there, remember every detail that John records is important. I'll be reading from the NIV. If it doesn't sound exactly what you're reading, that's okay. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with a woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Can you imagine the scene? It's early. Like dawn patrol early for you surfers out there. The sun is just creeping up over the hills. It's like, okay, pre-9 a.m. service. You get what I'm saying? Early, okay? Jesus is already at the temple. He's teaching a group of worshipers. 
And there's this commotion outside. I mean, it's so quiet. You're going to hear this commotion coming. And this commotion outside now enters into the room, and it's the religious elite. It's the power players. It's the spiritual leaders. And with them, they're bait. That's all she was to them. No longer a human being, no longer had a name, a family, dreams, or value. She was bait. Bait used to hook Jesus. This woman, caught just a few hours before in an adulterous affair, now being publicly humiliated, being dragged through the streets and now dragged into the temple by the spiritual power players. And what does the NIV say? They made her stand before the group. Well, I want to look at a few other translations because I think this is really important. So in the NIV, it does say they made her stand before the group. But the RSV says, it says that they placed her in the midst. And that seems very different. So I'm wondering kind of what's going on in this scene. The ASV and having set her in the midst, the NET, they made her stand in front of them. Sounds more like the NIV. The WEB, having set her in the midst. Okay, so which one is it? The Common English Bible placing her in the center of the group. You might be asking yourself, why are we spending so much time on such a small detail? Because her posture makes all the difference in the world. Are you in the scene? Are you with me? Can you imagine the scene, what's going on? Jesus is teaching. There's a, there's a crowd gathered around him to hear him teach. A commotion enters into the room, and a lump of clothes is tossed in the center of the meeting. We find out it's a woman. Is she weeping? Is she frightened? Is she shaking? Afraid of the condemnation she knows she's just about to receive. The religious leaders say, Jesus, this woman was just caught in sin. See, Moses says this, but what do you say? Crickets. It's not a sound in the room. The, the crowd is silent, not a word in the court, just the weeping of a broken spirit. Moses versus Jesus. I mean, do you see the snare? You see, see what's going on here? See, the reader of the Torah, the reader of the Torah would sit in what is known as Moses' seat, the place of honor. The Torah were the very words of Moses, so the one reading the Torah were reading on behalf of Moses, who was also speaking on behalf of God. And so we have to go back we have to go back and find out what did Moses really say. Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 22. If a man is found sleeping with another man's wife, both the man who slept with her and the woman must die. You must purge the evil from Israel. Yikes. 
This is another passage I wish we could just glaze over. Two weeks in a row, I wish we could just skim right over this thing. Killing? I mean, really? And where's the man, right? I mean, doesn't it say that the man should be involved in this? I mean, if we're going to really hold to the letter of the law, aren't both supposed to die? You can just hear them saying, the, the Bible clearly says this. It's in black and white. It's right in front of you, Jesus. Yes or no? What do you say? The accusers were using another human being. They were demeaning God's pearl to prove a biblical point. But Jesus is going to do something different. I have come so that they might have life. So then rather than speaking on behalf of Moses, Jesus takes action on behalf of God. We know this because earlier in the gospel of John, chapter 5, verse 19, Jesus says, Very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. So Jesus, acting on behalf of his Father, rather than purging the evil, kneels down to write in the dirt. Man, you can just see it. I mean, there's been so much speculation, right, concerning what was Jesus writing? I, some think that maybe Jesus was writing all the sins of everyone in the room. Others think that maybe like how God wrote a law in a tablet of stone for Moses, maybe Jesus was writing a new law for us in the sand. But I wonder, what if Jesus was writing a specific word of love just for her? But we don't know. John doesn't tell us. Man, I'd love to know. But what we do know, and what's maybe more important than the content of what Jesus was writing was the posture that Jesus was displaying. Posture, right? I mean, it's, what, is it, what kind of posture does it take to write in the dirt with your finger? If you go online, you, you Google some of these images that you've seen, some of them, like, it shows Jesus, and it looks like he's got really tight hamstrings, you know, and he's just bending just enough. He's just like, oh, I got it. Okay, oh. That's not the Jesus that I know. He's getting down, right? Bending down. So imagine, what's the scene? There's a crowd circled around. There's accusations flying. There's a broken heap of a woman in the middle of the room, and Jesus, what is Jesus doing? He's kneeling down, getting on her level, entering into her mess.
I want you to picture it from her perspective, okay? So we have Jesus, you know, riding with his finger in the dirt. You have this woman in the center of the room. Gosh, she must be so scared and so ashamed and so afraid. And so she's cowering back. But I just imagine her as Jesus moves his finger in the dirt, that she catches his finger with her eye and she notices that someone is there. And so peering up, looking through her tear-filled eyes and her ratted hair, she sees Jesus. At her level, entering in with her, making eye contact with her. I want you to go there. Can you imagine with me? I'm going to ask you to close your eyes, and I really do want you to close your eyes. I really want you to enter into this scene with me. Imagine you are in the middle of the room, and you're completely exposed. Your sin is out there for everyone to see. You're afraid. You might be experiencing guilt and shame. And peering through your tear-filled eyes, you look up and you see Jesus making eye contact with you. What is his facial expression? What might his eyes be communicating? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the brokenhearted, for it is they who will be comforted. So after writing, Jesus stands up. Now all eyes are on Jesus now. They were on her, but as he stood up, they all came upon him. And now Jesus is eye to eye with his accusers. And he says these words, you who are without sin, cast the first stone. It's like he's saying, you who follow God and his will for your life in every area of your life, go ahead and throw the first stone. It's like he's saying, if, if you don't find yourself in the same place before God as this woman is before us, cast the first stone. It's like Jesus said, if you don't find yourself in the same position before God, as this woman is before us, then throw the first stone. Let me say that again. If you don't find yourself in the same posture before God as this woman is before us, and all eyes are fixated upon Jesus, and he once again bends down and once again catches her gaze. Remember what you saw in his eyes? Can you imagine then what his posture means for her? It means that she's not alone, that she has a friend. 
an advocate, a protector, a defender. Remember, posture makes all the difference in the world. And so as Jesus continues to write in the sand, one by one, his accusers walk out. So who's left? Just the broken woman and her healer. Just the accused and her redeemer. Jesus' posture is not of one as a religious know-it-all. It's not as an accuser, and it's not as an innocent bystander just watching a show. No, Jesus kneels low, gets his hands dirty, and sees her as a pearl. It's relational, it's compassionate, it's attentive. His very posture, by being there with her, frees her from her condemnation. And by being there, he takes upon himself her shame. He does, yes, you're right, he does not deny her guilt. He does not condone her actions. But in the fullness of grace, without sacrificing the truth, Jesus says, go and sin no more. But I want you to hear this. He doesn't say this until after he's postured himself as an advocate. And this go and sin no more is not a condemnation, but an invitation, an invitation to live into the kingdom of God, to allow God's goals and God's dreams and God's desires to be lived out through your life. It's an invitation to be walking descriptions of the kingdom of God. And this is an invitation to you as well. He's inviting you to be a walking description of his grace, of his forgiveness, of his redemption. The Apostle Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 2 through 3. You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. He's saying that you and I are letters of recommendation to the world to enter into this thing that we call the kingdom of God in the here and now. That we are the ones that God is writing upon to convince everyone else, just as John wrote those stories to convince us that what Jesus is doing is legit. What the Spirit is doing is legit. So over the last five weeks, we've been describing the kingdom of God, but today the Spirit of God wants to describe the kingdom of God through our lives. But not until we take the posture of Christ. The posture of Christ is one who has compassion for the sinner one who's willing to bend down to see the other person and to enter into their mess. Not until we have the posture of the woman who's willing to have humility before God and to see ourselves as the one who has been redeemed. 
This is not the first account of John telling a story of Jesus bending down and seeing eye to eye with sinners. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus, full of grace and truth, stepped off of his throne and knelt into our reality eye to eye with you and me, and even while we were still sinners, even while we were broken uh, heaps in the middle of the room, what, Jesus took all of our condemnation, all of our guilt, all of our shame upon himself. Why? So that we could be called friends of God. And so that we can become walking descriptions of what God is doing in the here and now. This is good news. This is the gospel. Amen. Amen.